0: Hello, I'm Michael Watson, joined by Sarah Lee, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. As bad and left-wing as teachers' unions can be, for some union activists and leftist agitators, the normal normal level of leftism just isn't enough. For that reason, the Democratic Socialists of America the nation's most prominent far-left political group, has pitched a pamphlet encouraging its members to become teachers and partnered with teachers' unions and teachers' unions-aligned politicians. What does this mean for your children's schools? Joining us to discuss that and related questions is Ryan Staley, a researcher at Parents Defending Education. Uh, Ryan, before we begin, could you tell us, our listeners, about your background and work with Parents Defending Education?
1: Yeah, so I've been with defending edu- uh, Parents Defending Education for um, about a year and a half now. Um, prior to that, I was um, in the classroom teaching middle school students. Um, and I've spent well over um, a decade doing that, um, actually ranging all the way from sixth grade to freshman and freshman at the university level. And then I've also spent about a decade coaching collegiate athletics. So I've kind of had, um, in terms of being involved in education, I've been from uh, everything but elementary level on up um my wife's been an elementary teacher for over 15 years so that comes in and I'm I'm also a third generation educator so um so and then when we talk about unions the last thing I'd add to to my background is that my dad my dad was the head of the the AFT union rep for his school district in Illinois
0: so what what uh led you to I mean, I don't know. Do you still do you still teach, or did you or did you have to leave leave the classroom to go into
1: policy? I decided to completely leave the classroom to come and do this full time.
0: Uh, did did you have a particular reason out of curiosity? Uh,
1: <laughs> yes. Um, the politics involved in teaching now the the heavy push for for the some of the stuff we'll probably address today. Um, I guess the easiest way to say is the woke policies, the the equity. Um, the, uh, I probably would spend about 10 minutes a day actually, or 10 minutes a class period, actually educating my students. Um, the discipline, unfortunately was so awful. Um, you know, and, and usually that was my, my strength was classroom discipline. And yet, um, a number of us still really struggled, even though that was our talent. Um, and so all those pieces just kind of combine and, then this opportunity opened up and I decided that I could maybe be more effective uh, on a national scale to come and work for for this organization. That's fantastic. So. Right. Take 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 your take
0: your experience, what you went through and put it in Absolutely. a broader context. Yep. So uh, what then is the Democratic Socialists of America doing with the teachers unions? Uh, how are they how are, how are they getting connected?
1: Well, I think, I think the first thing is policy-wise, the the teachers and the teachers' unions have just kind of you know, gravitated towards each other, um, even more so than in the past. I mean, if you go all the way back to the 1930s, right, um, there was a heavy infiltration into the teachers' unions. I mean, we have the story of Bella Dodd, right, who was uh, big in the Communist Party USA and, and teachers' unions. So it's not like it's new. Um, but I think in the current atmosphere, the the push for equity, which let's just face it, is a socialist uh, mentality. Um, you can you can define it how you want, but the the general premise is that we're going to give these you know these kids that we deem underserved or or you know oppressed, we're going to give them more time and resources, et cetera, and take away from the other kids. And so, in policy-wise, you know, or in application, what you see is equitable grading. You see things like in Fairfax, Virginia, the the, um, the equity policies they're putting into place there, the the, um, the how they're how upset they are about um, the the um, scotus ruling with affirmative action, right? So all those things um, have have pushed them together. And then I, you know, from my perspective, if you were the DSA, why wouldn't you? try to work into the power structure of the teachers union. Right. Um, and, and as we see from um, that article that you addressed, um, one of the things that I uncover or discovered too, was that they're not only infiltrating from the teachers union side, but they're going after the school board because then they're negotiating with themselves. That That's the classic, the classic government worker union. Yeah. Era. Yeah. And so it's, I mean, when you have both ends of the, of the contract negotiations or, or negotiating on strikes, et cetera, you could really control um, the direction of things that are going on in your in your school district. And in, I, I'm sure we'll get to um, the bigger picture with the unions overall and, and what they're trying to achieve. So, uh, Sarah, do you want to-, to Yeah,
2: you know, the article that you um, just referenced, um, Brian, and thank you so much for coming on. It's a really good piece. You're quoted in it. It's from the Free Beacon. Its, it's headline is the emerging alliance between- America's leading socialist organization and teachers union and teachers unions. Let me just back up really quickly, though. I want to say something. We don't use the um, video of these interviews. We only use the audio. But I just want to let listeners know that Ryan's background is one of the greatest things I have ever seen. It's like a giant grizzly bear head. It's amazing.
1: (laughs) On purpose. On purpose.
2: <laughs> oh, I love it so much. Anyway, I couldn't let that pass. Thanks. Um, so this article from the free Brief, from the Free Beacon is really, really interesting, and it was unintentionally hilarious. So I have a chicken and an egg question, um, but I did want to um, I did want to talk a little bit about um, the sort of narrative in this article is that uh, after Donald Trump. Um, was elected in 2016, and this is the chicken and egg question, but I'll get to that in a second. Uh, Mm -hmm. This uh, West Virginia socialist group basically uh, worked with, aligned themselves with uh, teacher unions and put out a pamphlet uh, talking about some of their demands or things that they wanted. And the list of those demands are just, it's just amazing to me uh some of what's included in that pamphlet can you talk a little bit about that
1: um oh shoot i oh i'm I, sorry i
2: put you on the spot here let me let me pull no you up. <laughs> we, yeah i sure well, know some of what the dsa wants
1: well i can definitely um jumped over to um los angeles mm-hmm. with the with the utla on the same idea um as as we kind of you know sorry to
0: was this was this the one when they were
1: coming? Was this the one when they were coming? Yes. Back COVID? And recently because they, they kind of re-upped it again. And so uh, if it's OK to jump to that one yeah, instead, because so I'm, I'm definitely more familiar there yeah. is, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people should be familiar, especially within our neck of the the, the uh, infosphere that, you know, the the UTLA came out and said they refused to come back to school or they, they, they were kind of on a strike and they were making all these demands, including housing. Um, and just really you know crazy crazy stuff back in back in 2020 to come back from covid defund the police yes. was one of them yes and 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 by the way that's another through line with the dsa and stuff is is not just defund the police but defund the sros in schools um that's a that's another piece to this that aligns also with black lives matter sro yes.
0: sro is sro is school resource yeah, thank officer you. the the staff police who are uh, posted at
1: schools. So, so, you know, the, the, the UTLA comes out and they, they, they push for that agenda. Um, it was really, really crazy. Um, got a lot of attention that way. And then they tried it again recently. Um, I think with the most recent negotiations, they, they also were pushing for that again. This time it's a little different because, uh, as, as Susanna highlights in the article. There are, you know, DSA members that are that are running the UTLA, and the head of the school board, and now a second member are DSA members, and so it it starts to align because one of the things that the newest member of the school board, what she did immediately was create a new Green Deal um, um, committee inside of district, and then promptly put her allies on that committee from the community um, to push, because that's a big thing with the DSA is the new Green Deal stuff, which obviously it has an alignment, you know, I'm going to tangent just just very briefly with the, the environmental social governance stuff, the UN stuff. I'm not saying they're cahoots, right? But it definitely aligns with that end of things and so forth. So
0: it's it's it it's it's like a it's like the current of a river or a current of the sea. Everybody's moving in yeah, the Yeah, that was direction. one of what
2: that was actually you actually did answer my question because that was one of the specific things that the West Virginia uh pamphlet mentioned.
0: I, I do I do wanna I would do wanna jump in before we leave Los Angeles with uh every time the UTLA comes up, I feel constitutionally obligated to bring up the worst quote by a teachers <laughs> union president. <laughs> Uh, during the COVID during the COVID era, uh, she the Cecily Meyer Cruz, who was the head of the Los Angeles Teachers Union, was uh, had a big interview with one of the local magazines out there, in which she explained away learning loss. Which, as you know, every month it seems like a new study comes out showing how terrible the lockdowns uh, were ca- caused all this learning loss. Uh, And she said, and I quote, our kids didn't lose anything. It's okay that our babies may not have learned all their times tables. They learned resilience. They learned survival. They learned critical thinking skills. They know the difference between a riot riot and a protest. They know the words insurrection and coup. That was the head of the Los Angeles teacher. Right.
2: And just just to bounce off that before I get to my actual question, that came out of the West Virginia pamphlet, quoting the piece, the Free Beacon piece, Climate Literacy Through a Racial Justice Lens. And so you were a teacher. What did you, how Mm -hmm. did that manifest itself in the classroom?
1: Well, let me, let me give you a quote from actually an individual that Susanna put in the article, Brian Lindstrom, who is a um, DSA member in Denver, Colorado. Mm -hmm. Funny enough, I had screen captured a tweet he made in 2021 and and in, in quote, critical race theory is a component of everything I do. I'm not, and he goes on to say he's not going to the the. When the door closes, no one knows what the conversation he's having with his students is, and that while I disagree with his premise, that is accurate. Just because it's not you, you and I can't see it in the curriculum or we can't see it in the lesson plans doesn't mean those conversations aren't happening in the classroom. So for example, if somebody like him as a DSA member, he's in the classroom and he sees it as his moral obligation to teach these kids his philosophy. How do I know from outside that he's not doing that in the classroom? Unless kids come and explicitly say, you know, Hey, he's talking about X, Y, and Z, right? Um, I mean, here, I mean, going back,
0: going, going back to you know, going back to lockdowns, I mean, as these kids were sitting at school, on sitting at home on Zoom and the parents were forced to proctor these lessons, uh, you know, one of the things that I've always kind of wondered about it um, was, you know, was this the first time that the parents got to go behind the door and got to see some of what was going mm-hmm. on that they hadn't seen before? And that that's why you know, groups like Parents Defending Education, Moms for Liberty, you know, some of these other uh, these uh, parents advocacy groups, these independent parents advocacy groups. uh, um, uh, Ryan Pendisico, I think is his name, of American Enterprise Institute, had a piece at Barry Weiss's uh, substack uh, on Moms for Liberty. Uh, A similar but unaffiliated organization. Um, and people in that were commenting about how unusually grassroots relative to other sort of education policy advocacy groups uh, that is. And to the point that there's this broader parents rights movement of which parents defending education is part, you know, is it, is the, the rocket fuel that sort of makes it go those could have been as few as three, could have been as many as 30 months that parents got behind. Definitely.
1: Definitely. I mean, uh, you know, I even think from, from a teacher's perspective, you know, you're kind of like the the frog in the pot and you don't really pay attention. So let me, let me give you just a snippet of, of insight from my background, which is I went into the teaching education program in 2008, a master's program in Illinois. And now, what I know about this ideology and its roots and its base, I can reflect back on 2008 and go, yes, they were implementing. It was for, from from the school I was at; they were in the process of implementing this transformative education. Which now, you know, many of us that have been been studying this in in depth in the last couple of years and, and furiously, you know, we know it's in Freire um, and 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 other. You know, I, you know, I, I don't like to go around. Sl-
0: Paolo pa- 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 yes. Ferreira, pa- Ferreira, the Marxist, yep. uh, Marxist uh, ideologue, uh, author of Pedagogy of the Oppressed, which is I have read as one of the most assigned ed school books. Correct, that Pedagogy correct?
1: of the Oppressed is is one of the most cited in education. Um, and so, so I've been I've been on the ground floor of that development. Um, that my first teaching job at a, at a public middle school, low socioeconomic. Um, on the wall in our staff room was a, was a poster from Derek Bell, who's the, one of the you know, top fathers of critical race theory, if you will. Um, and yet when I first started, there was still an, um, a normalcy to things, you know, for example, you know, yeah, we have a lot of black, black males that are getting, you know, getting disciplined, but if you need to write discipline, you'd handle discipline. But my principal is also old school. So now we have this whole new thing of of principles, and we did a research report, by the way, for Parents Defending Ed last fall that highlights the money aspect and how these changes are taking place in the schools and where it's coming from. And basically, nonprofits, with the mindset of this equity movement and and racial justice, et cetera, have co-opted not just... SEL in the classroom. They went after the principals. They went after superintendents in in their training at the university level. So they went after the university programs. You know, almost like a trickle down type of thing. And and now, you know, if a school district wants to hire a a, a superintendent who's not down with this stuff, good luck.
2: You know, I'm glad you, you know, mentioned because... the financing. That was the question I had. The chicken and egg yeah. question. It's a little bit off topic, so I want to jump to it real quick. And then you guys, I know Mike probably has a question about what you just said. But the funding to the Democratic Socialist Group, according to the Free Beacon piece, jumped from something like a half a million since 2015 to 6.5 million now. And so the question I have is, and, and the DSA kind of put out this pamphlet saying we need more teachers, right? We need to get into the teaching profession. Mm-hmm. That happened um, very rapidly. Their membership grew very, very rapidly. Is Did the membership growth happen as a result of the funding, or did the funding come with the membership growth? That's my question. So I know that that's a little hmm. off topic from the funding you're talking about, about nonprofits going into the universities and sort of co-opting what's going on in schools, but it's all about right. the money. And so... I'm curious what you think there having researched this does it look like the with with Donald Trump or some scary Republican coming to office, office. did they grow there I can, or did I can
0: I can throw I can throw out a guess okay. I, I can throw out a guess I think it's a synergistic effect I think that you know the election of Donald because a lot of it came after the election of Donald Trump in 2016 mm-hmm. uh, that was a shock to the system among American liberals, American progressives—that should not have happened. Uh, you know this, and part of that, you end up with some of the, you know, wild political stories of the last however many years it's been. But one of the things that did grow out of it was grassroots mobilization among very far left people who were scared and activated by this new trump administration and the dsa was where a lot of that energy went and you know that that's how you got you know part of how you got uh the rise of alexandria Ocasio cortez part of how you got and then there was also in some of the big city teachers unions there was also a a left wing that had already sort of consolidated itself karen lewis uh and in chicago probably most notably um. So it was a case of maybe having the infrastructure there when the time was right, and then again, if you have an existing infrastructure, donors, supporters, institutions can start throwing more money at you to yeah. put the the institution you have to work. What do you think? Ryan? If I can,
1: do, well, if we can, let's dig into the money thing a little yeah. bit because that's that's actually like my. I think the area that I've spent the most time across the board looking at. Uh, in fact, I, I got uh, did a panel at Moms for Liberty's conference two weeks ago on on the foundation monies and, and how that's moving around. I think to, to keep it simple with the DSA in terms of money, because um, I'm kind of looking at their 990s right now, and I'm looking at just a list of potential possible, if I didn't really dig into it fully um where the money's coming from and the hard thing with some of these groups is it's it really can become a money laundering format um because what they do um i'm going to do a broad overview not necessarily specific to dsa but um you know arabella advisors which is run by WIS, which is not as people are not as familiar with arabella as they are with open society and george soros but just as much money and Arabella has sub foundations, for example, new venture fund and new venture fund has projects, fiscal projects, which they can hide like money and things.
0: Yeah. We, we, we sometimes, we sometimes use the term "pass through for, for groups like for groups like new venture fund that cause uh, you know, like if I'm, I'm the big donor, I'm VEAS, I'm open society, I'm Ford foundation, I'm whoever, I give money to New Venture. New Venture can then either pass it on to somebody else, or like you said, they can do a fiscal sponsor project in-house that they then don't have to, uh, they don't have to show any specifics about in their Right. So
1: you have all these layers of pass through that at some point, some of that money can be hidden. Um, I think, I think primarily it probably comes from just, you know, membership dues. Mm -hmm. Um, and so forth, especially with the DSA to focus on the DSA in terms of money. I mean, think about this coming back to the unions a little bit is with the, the, the national education association, the NEA, the American Federation of teachers, the AFT, the Chicago teachers union. And then the U and the union, the union of teachers of, of LA, that's a total of $912 million of gross receipts from 2020 alone. So when when we come when we, we tie that money piece in, to versus grassroots parental rights and parental advocacy groups, there's no way that that we groups have a combined even you know close to that. It's almost a, it's easily like a ten to one ratio if not higher. And 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 yet look at the look at the strides. I'm trying to be positive here too, right? Look at the strides we've made in putting putting pressure on them to the point where at the NEA convention, part of what they're talking about is how they're going to combat us and what, and, you know, and moving money in that direction to push and, you know, Randy Weingarten with the AFT, the same thing is that, you know, our movement is really stressing them out to where they're using their resources now to, to push their, to push harder on their agenda and push back on what we're doing.
0: Well, I mean, speaking 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 of that, you know, you had the NEA. I guess it was last week put out its summer reading list for teachers, and of course, on that summer reading list was there was a couple of books of critical race theory. I think Robin DiAngelo was one of the authors, the uh, controversial race popularizer person, uh, and then of <laughs> course right gender right there, queer Mike. the uh, the popularizer uh, person the <laughs> The uh, the book that contains that has been challenged in school li- in school libraries because it contains graphic depictions of intimate acts, right. uh, and the NEA is very very disappointed that people are challenging the book with graphic depictions of sexual acts. Uh, yeah, and I want to libraries. speak
2: to that just a minute. In um, the money, I think the other part of this is that parents have no had no idea of how much money was going into the sort of direction that their children were going to be educated and and that's what's fascinating like and and mike as mike mentioned the you know the books and things like that um was COVID. how everybody finally kind of got wind of it but the amount of money that we're talking about here feeding this this beast is kind of astounding and i'm not sure people understood what was happening
1: yep yep in fact um i I don't know if you paid attention but there was a um a um, what was it? It was a van that they had uh, brought out for the Moms for Liberty protests um, in Philadelphia. I think it was like one of the first days. There was a book band van or some 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 nature like that. And the group that sponsored that, I think MoveOn.org with their name on it. But there was another group behind it on a list. And that group, by the way, um, they're one of their founders worked in the Department of Education for the obama administration and she was on biden's transition team and she also was a personal assistant to randy weingarten before the obama administration at the aft and so it's it's one of those things where when you start to if you know if you want to do like one of those little little chalkboard maps concept maps and you start to map these people out in the end a lot of these organizations come back to the same handful of groups and so in I mean, Biden's transition team, for example, for the education department had a whole host of AFT and NEA members. And so, you know, I mean, we know that Biden, you know, touts about being the union guy type of type of personality, you know, his, his, um, his administration. So yeah, that, that's, that's, that, that is what Biden right. is. So it doesn't surprise me, right? It doesn't surprise me when I look and see how many union members are on that list, um, one of the things, too, with this money, stuff, I, I got, now this is not data that I have seen yet, but I've, I've got it from from a contact um, who, who got this information from the NEA conference that the NEA may have lost over 30,000 members in this last year. Hmm. As a teacher, when I was teaching in Illinois, um, I think the law has changed there. But when I taught, I had to pay a $1,000 per year of union dues. They got paid.
0: Yeah, that that would have that would have changed. That would have changed in 2018 when the Supreme Court said they yeah, couldn't do that anymore. Yeah.
1: But back then for just to give people to kind of wrap their heads around union dues, my union dues um they would get union dues paid to them before I'd get paid. And that was at least $1,000 a year. So let's just say for number's sake and again it might not be this number, but if they lost 30,000 members and each member was paying roughly $1,000 a year, that's 30000000 that's $30 million. Mm-hmm. And let's say low and maybe ten million dollars they lost, but that's still that's still a chunk of change. So I think part of what's going on is that they're getting desperate uh, to a degree because they're losing members, and you know our movement, the parental rights movement, is really having a, an effect on that as well. Um, but I, if I may add this from the teachers' perspective, on um, being on the inside. Is uh, teachers don't want to be part of the union. I mean, you pay all this money, and they might negotiate a contract for you, and you you know that. I mean, you might get some lawyer services, but well, and to to the extent, and to the extent that you
0: want the you want the union around, it's more for its traditional collective Mm -hmm. bargaining job administration reasons, not for the social justice unionism. All the you know the the NEA and AFT are you know podium place for the worst at this, but like all the major labor unions follow this social justice unionism ideology where instead of, you know, just being the guys who negotiate your contract, the guys who represent you, if you have a grievance with the, with the administration, Mm -hmm. you know, you're passed over for hiring and you want to challenge it, you know, or passed over for promotion, you want to hire and you want to challenge it or something uh, that. Yeah, they do that, but it's also must be part of a greater, broader progressive capital P movement, you know, with all the things like the critical race theory, the gender ideology, the, uh, you know, gun control, um, you know, pick a abortion access, pick a right. pick an issue that is doesn't have an economic core even, uh, and you're going to find organized labor on the left and side of
1: it. I want to you know encourage those listening too that. From being again being a teacher on the on the inside, um, most teachers just they want to go to school, they want to teach, they want to help the kids they're working with, um, you know, and they want to go home grade papers and be with their family. Um, yes, there are teachers in schools that are that are social justice warriors, and yes, there are a handful that are that are really into the to the you know the union policy stuff. In terms of the unions, most teachers are just like, yeah, we have a rep. And that's about it. I mean, that's honestly about it. Um, The last school I worked at, you know, in Tennessee, we have a a state law that, you know, critical race theory can't be taught in the schools. Um, And it came up in a staff meeting. And I even had one staff member who's like, I've never even heard of that term before. So I, I think that's a perspective I want, you know, people to kind of walk away with too is that don't just assume that all these teachers are all on board with this stuff. Yes, some districts might be worse than others in terms of the amount of population. But in the end, you know, a lot of teachers just they want to teach the kids how to read. They want to teach them how to do math. And they're actually getting handcuffed by these policies that are not working.
2: That's optimistic. I'm glad to hear you say that. And I think that you know, hearing you say that, and I, you know, you have the practical experience. So, and and I have friends who are teachers who have said similar things. It's very, very encouraging to hear that. And it does, I think, speak to how sort of powerful some of these interests are that they can go in and co-opt an entire industry for their political desires.
1: Yeah. And and if I can zoom out, just kind of, as we kind of get, I think we're going to get close to closing here, but to zoom out, I kind of started. Yeah, I kind are. of started with uh, alluding to this. Randy Weingarten has explicitly talked about the idea of community schools, and what I want people—I I mean, I don't get too deep in it because there's a lot of working parts to it. But basically, think of it like an Amazon hub, but your child's school is the the one-stop shop for all of these services. And the union, Randy Weingarten, and these real activists are the ones that are going to get to pick who are the stakeholders in charge of these things. And you guarantee you it's not going to be at least parents that are going to be for these things. So, for example, um, if you you noticed yesterday, there was a a big piece. We released a report on Seattle Public Schools where they had um, one of the high schools and middle schools had a school-based health clinic. And at that clinic, they were offering gender-affirming care. Well, part of the community schools is having these health care clinics. By the way, I'm sure Planned Parenthood wants in on it because AFT has been aligned with Planned Parenthood. And so that's the goal with, like, that's just one sliver. But that's the goal is to put these health clinics inside of schools. And don't forget that over, you know, over a thousand of these school districts have policies that if a school transitions as child, they don't have to tell the parents about it. So at this Seattle school district, they don't have to tell the parents about these transitions, and they're offering this gender affirming care. And so that's what the community schools are gonna end up being. And I didn't know this till recently, but the AFT has been moving away from just teachers, and now they have they've they've gobbled up a nurses chapter in Oregon, for example.
0: Yeah, nurse, mm-hmm. nurses, some other government workers. So, like I'm pro-
1: I'm sure the number one reason is improve their ranks, right, their numbers and so forth. But but imagine that you're you're yeah. So right right. So that's just a zoomed out picture of of what what they're especially Randy because Randy's talked about it. So we know that that the AFT is behind the move for community schools and it's well funded. By the way, um Jeff Bezos' his ex-wife, I can't remember her name on top of my head, has donated hundreds of millions. Yep. McKenzie. Ma- yep. McKenzie and she's Scott. donated mm-hmm. a large millions and millions of dollars to this and 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 there's other nonprofits involved in this, et cetera, et cetera. So it's there's a lot of push from the top. And then of course you get the activists from the ground level inside the school district pushing for it. And and that's what that's what I think um what it looks like in the end. I'm not sure, but that's kind of part of the goal here. All right.
0: Well, uh Ryan. Please send uh, over to us uh, anything that you would like us to put in any of your uh, or Parents Defending Education's research that you'd like us to put in today's show notes. Uh, But before we let you go, is there anything that you guys are working on that
1: you'd like to promote? Yeah, um, but we're just about ready to release it. Um, But there's something we do have a very big report coming out next week that actually has some level of international connection that um is going to be worth right. looking into and then um you know we, we we so well so so give it give it so give it give us the web address yeah. and we'll tell, we'll tell our listeners it's to watch uh, the www.defendinged.org and that's where you can find we have a, a beautiful wonderful map that Pinpoints all of the school districts that have issues going on. We also produce reports. We have resources for parents, um, like for example, how to file a Freedom of Information Act, et cetera. So, um, and then you can you can reach us um, at info at defendinged.org, um, and we'll respond. Whoever is appropriately will respond to your email if you want further information on something.
0: All right. Well, thanks again to Ryan Staley of Parents Defending Education for joining us. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We will see you all next week.